Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Alexandre Lacazette lance Martinelli, il est plus rapide, Martinelli, le but de Gabriel Martinelli, et voilà l'esprit de conquête des gunners se récompenser dès l'entame de la deuxième période. Le but Le but Le but Le but de Gabriel Martinelli This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too, Andrew. A goodly Thursday. A goodly Thursday, yes. It's a bit unusual that we're doing this, but the schedule, the time of the year, and I think the importance of the game that we played last night lent itself to a an extra Arsecast Extra this morning mm. when we don't normally do one. And I will say, uh, for those of you uh, out there expecting a regular Friday podcast, that won't be happening this week. We are doing this Arsecast Extra in place of that, but of course we will have a Patreon podcast previewing the Leeds game. So there you go. We giveth and we also taketh away a little little bit if that makes sense who knows Andrew with Arsenal you never know there might be some sort of huge controversial off-field happening within the next 24 hours what you that t- forces what you, t- you that into an emergency podcast that doesn't <laughs> sound like us at all I don't know what you're implying here James but goodness gracious yeah. well look it I, is I, I, I must stress by the way because people will be inferring things from that that aren't there that was the complete joke. I don't know anything else that's happening. We can all chill out and enjoy this picture. For now, at least until the end of this podcast, when it becomes immediately redundant by the next big thing. Yeah. Anyway, look, you know, it, it wouldn't be a surprise if nothing happened, but nor would it be a surprise if something happened. But we're here this morning to talk about football, football first and foremost, because pretty much everything else that's happened this week, we have... Uh, not quite squeezed the life out of, but based on all the information that we have and based on what's happened and based on what we know, there isn't much left to say, to be honest. So um, that that stuff will be at a minimum in, in this particular podcast. And I think we should concentrate on the fact that in what was a game of real significance, in part because of what's happened this week as well. I think that that, that does um, highlight the importance of this game when, when things go on off the pitch and they're so seismic or they feel seismic. You know, when, you, when you're playing a team like West Ham, who've been very good this season, who are above you in the table, who if you beat, you can go into the top four. It adds another layer of importance to that fixture, I think. Okay, go for it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this was a really 
big game for Arsenal, I think because of various factors, because of the captaincy issue, like you mentioned, that ramped up some of the scrutiny and the pressure. I think also because of the defeats they'd suffered not too long ago against Manchester United Mm. and Everton, the fact that that had presented such an opportunity to kind of stake their claim for these top four places and they'd let them pass that by here pass them by rather yeah sure here they here they were again against a team who are a competitor for those spots and it was another opportunity the fact that it came around quite quickly as well mm. sort of presented them with a chance to kind of uh, you know nothing will take back those points that we dropped but at least assuage some of those concerns so in its own way it was a, a pressure game and beforehand, you couldn't help but slightly worry about that, given the way we've responded to some pressure scenarios this season. But well, this was much better. Yeah, oh, by miles, by miles. Mm. And, you know, it's what we were talking about the other day, I think, where this team sort of pulls you from pillar to post a little bit in terms of what you think of them and what they're capable of and what the potential is and how do they respond to the setbacks. But, you know, on top of that, can they then be... Uh, a bit more proactive, if you like. Can they uh, take charge of situations which Mm. present themselves opportunities in a season when you really have to stand up and be counted? And that sounds terribly reductive or or basic, but it is true. You know, we had games um, against Manchester United and Everton, which were real opportunities to cement a place uh, in the top four, or at least, you know, really, really um, high up in in the Premier League table in those European places. And, you know, it felt like we crumbled a little bit you know, under mm-hmm. the pressure of that, away from home, we, we didn't make the most of our performances. We didn't make the most of opposition that we probably, well, not probably, but definitely should have taken something from on both occasions. And you can't help but worry when you do that. Then you have a game like this against West Ham, who've been flying high, who've been, um, you know, not in the best form of late, but still beat Chelsea recently. They're in the top four over the last year, 18 months. What David Moyes has done there, you know, has been very, very impressive. Um, it wasn't just like a three-month uh, flash in the pan, a form, a purple patch, whatever you want to call it. He's put together a very difficult team to beat, a very physically imposing team. They're well organized. You know, man for man, perhaps they don't necessarily have the quality of some of the other teams, but as a unit, as a team, they're a, they're a tough nut to crack. So that, the results, the captaincy, the Aubameyang, the media spotlight, the scrutiny, the focus on the manager for the decision that he made, and mm-hmm. then this team, can they go out? Can they can they stand up and be counted? And they did, and it was great, and there was a lot to, to like about this performance. Yes, yeah, certainly. And I've been trying to think of the right way to describe West Ham. It's difficult, but they, they are kind of a grown-up team. You know, they are a real team mm. and they're organised. They're very physical. They're big, um, big guys. They're experienced. They're yeah. big. Exactly. And so that presents its own kind of challenge. And I think teams who are better than us have struggled with them at times this season. Mm. They beat Liverpool, didn't they? And they, they gave Man City a very good game. They beat Chelsea as well. I think it helped Arsenal that this was at home. You know, I, I yeah. think the Emirates Stadium is becoming a really uh, sort of secure foundation for this team. I think this result is four clean sheets on the bounce in the Premier League at home, which is 
very welcome. Um, second best home record in the league, I think. Same, so yeah, that, that same points as Man City. They've scored more goals, but twenty-two points at home for us this season. Twenty-two points at home for Manchester City. So yeah. th- that tells you plenty. And I know we had this discussion the other day, but yeah, it, it is. It is important that we we. We maintain this and then improve that away record. But, you know, what we've done at home so far um, has been really impressive. Definitely. And and I hope that this can be kind of a, a big win in Arsenal's season. I mean, David Moyes was really disappointed with the way his team performed. That's not to say it was easy for us, but I think, you know, he expected better from his own side. But I, 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 without wishing to be cruel, I hope that this is the beginning of their, you know, top four, top six challenge starting to slightly crumble because we need it to. They are a rival uh, at the moment this season. And, you know, we're in there now. We're in that mix. I think that's a big boost as well for this team. I mean, there was a stat doing the round, wasn't it? It's the first, the latest since 2019 that we've actually been in the top four in a Premier League season. It's quite unusual in the last couple of years for Arsenal to be in that mix approaching Christmas. So yeah. I, I hope they can really take confidence from that and push on. This was a big, big win and I say that partly because I think the alternative would have been really tricky I think had they failed to take the opportunity again I think a lot of knives would have been out and accusations would have been made and I'm hoping this will be a big stepping stone for them yeah I hope so too Um, because you know let's not pretend that what happened off the pitch this week is look they're professionals and they can go out and they can do their job in the 90 minutes but it's still a big thing to happen to a football club and and all the rest of it, but there was no sense that they were distracted. There was no sense that there was, you know, disgruntlement at what had happened, solidarity with the teammate. You know, I'm not saying that they um, shouldn't have uh, solidarity or friendship with Aubameyang, but you know what I mean? That, That if there had been one or two performances which weren't quite there, you might worry or start to wonder. But I think, you know, from front to back, Every single player um, last night was 100% committed. I mean, there were very, uh, varying levels of performance, of course, but as a team, as a unit, individually, collectively, it was almost like they completely switched that off and said, look, the focus here is is what happens on the pitch. And, and a, a, a game like this, a result like this, a performance like this reminds you that for all the granular stuff that we get into as fans, as podcasters and all the rest of it, Ultimately, how you feel about things is so determined by what you do on the pitch. Like, Mm. if the manager wants to dress up his players and, you know, flog them up and down the street, um, if you win week after week after week, nobody cares, you know? Absolutely. I'm not saying you should do that, by the way, just just to be clear. (laughs) But it's worth a try, for the away form, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, they'll be on the streets of Leeds uh, on Saturday (laughs) afternoon. But, yeah, I, I think you're right, and... You know, it was a very intense, very committed performance. And I'm sure we'll talk about Lacazette. But, you know, he's a great example of someone who we know has got a personal relationship with the captain, previous captain, should we say. Um, And it didn't seem to impede his performance in any way. And everything that I heard during the week said you know, that these guys are completely focused on the game. I think sometimes we underestimate how single-minded 
sportsmen and maybe particularly footballers are mm. in some instances. You know, when things happen to a teammate, as much as there is that camaraderie, sometimes there is just a shrug of the shoulders and, well, I've got to focus on myself and my opportunity, my next game. Mm. And I also think, you know, we, we can't preclude the possibility that there would have been some quarters of that dressing room who might have felt this change was overdue and who saw it as recognition of the fact that they have adhered to the standards that yeah. have been set. So mm. I, I was really pleased. I think I, I think they really started with intent. I mean, he picked the same team again, right? Yeah. A bit more continuity. Yeah, I mean, the only possible change that I could have seen to the team was Smith Rowe coming in for Martinelli. And yeah. I think Martinelli has done well enough to keep his place. Um, so I was pleased to see it. I just wondered maybe if Martinelli might be the more impactful off the bench, but we'll come to that, I'm sure. Um, mm. But look, you know, his decision there was absolutely rewarded with Martinelli because I thought uh, that was probably his best game for Arsenal. Um, we'll come to I that. I think so, yeah. in the circumstances. Yeah. yeah, I think so. But one of the things I, I just want to touch on, when you talk about players being focused and, and everything else pretty early on maybe about 10 minutes in 15 minutes in there was an incident when I think it was Kufal um, is it Kufal or Sufal well that was news to me I have to be honest I've been calling him Kufal for two years or whatever it is that he's been in the Premier League yeah. and yesterday the commentators um, went for Sofal um, Sofal and Sofair but I, I think uh, yeah it must be Sofal but I didn't know okay well that guy caught Kieran Tierney uh, with a you know, with his fingertips, really. Sure, um, an outstretched arm. And I, you know, he is, he is, he's got a very sensitive uh, chin, Kieran Face. Tierney. It's I think a, it's, yeah, yeah, his yeah. facial area, the concentration of nerves around it's, his chin yeah. is very intense. It's fascinating. <laughs> the slightest touch, and it's just agony for him. Honestly, he, time. yeah. He can't shave because it's too painful. He had to have all his hair follicles extracted from the lower half of his face. That's why you never see him with stubble. Yeah, It's true. true. This is scientific fact. Anyway, he went down and Arsenal, as a team, reacted. They reacted in a way which I was delighted about. And on... Well, you've spoken about this, haven't you? Yeah, you know, about this idea that when one of our players gets injured or hurt or slapped or kicked or stamped in the face on let's react like we, we have to as a team stick up for ourselves because if the referees won't do it and VAR won't do it we can only do it for ourselves so after a couple of incidents of late where we haven't necessarily covered ourselves in glory in that respect I was absolutely chuffed to see Lacazette and, and some of the senior players kick up and there was a bit of not quite aggro but you could see that there was something about I, I just I just felt that you, you can't for me you can't separate that from the overall performance and the intensity and the way that we played mm. and the result that we 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 got on the night that we worked so hard for it goes hand in hand with that kind of reaction to to that kind of incident for me and on BT Sport Steve McManaman was going like oh you don't want to see that and I was going I fucking do want to see that I want to see yeah. more of that get like I'm not saying go in wading in there and throwing punches but I want to see the players stick up for each other and they did that and I think that said a lot. It set the tone in some ways for the way we played and, and how we approached this game. I think so. And and I would go so far as to say it looked like something they had been instructed to do. I mean, it was 
a, a clear change from how they responded to some of what we have seen mm. on the pitch in recent weeks. And it, to be fair, it was reflected on the sidelines as well. I mean, Mikel Arteta was at 90 miles an hour in this game. Oh, yeah. uh, I don't know if you've seen his post-match interviews, but his voice is kind of like this because <laughs> um, he just hasn't got anything left in him. And, and I, I thought that that was indicative of uh, his awareness of what an important game this was. But like you, I was really glad to see the players supporting each other, rounding on the officials, creating that pressure, getting mm. the crowd involved. I think it all helps, um, again, especially at home. So I, I, uh, McManaman said that and he sort of bemoaned it, but that's a classic example of a commentator coming into a game without a sort of broader contextual knowledge that we have as fans, where we know mm. Arsenal haven't been doing that and it has cost them and decisions haven't gone their way. Yeah, but, um, but wouldn't he be the same guy who, if you know Arsenal were bullied by a team like Stoke, for example, he'd be the first guy to sort of say, well, they're too soft. You know, yeah. there's there's no there's no winning on this particular thing. Um, but yeah. and, and and Lacazette, by the way, is is emerging as the kind of king of Arsenal shithousery. I think. Uh, I think so. Yeah. I don't know what uh, you know, Sebastian. Uh, is his name Sebastian or Stefan? I don't know what Licksteiner taught him in his brief time at the club. But Stefan Licksteiner. <laughs> Stefan Licksteiner. He has embraced uh, as he is past thirty. He has really embraced that role. Yeah, I think that's fair. He got well involved, and um, you know. I think this was Lacazette's best game for Arsenal in a long, long time. I thought he was really, he was really good. good. Yeah. Really good. Um, we'll talk about the penalty, I'm sure, but in general, his his play was very good. And I think when you've got a team that, for the most part, is is really young, you look across that team from from back to front, it's like Ramsdale's 23, Tierney's 24, Gabriel 23, White 23, Tommy Asu 22, Martinelli 20, Saka 20, Odegaard 22. You've only really got... I'm mean, not saying that these, these young players can't be considered important or key parts, but like... Shaq is, what, 28, Party 28, Lacazette mm. 30. They're sort of distinct when it comes to the age bracket. And you do need those guys, to some extent, to, to, to take some of the responsibility and shoulder some of the responsibility, not just with how they act, but how they play. Mm. And I thought Lacazette's all-round play was as good as I've seen from him in... I can't remember when. It was fantastic. I think when he... When he is good, he does make other players look better. He is a good combination player when it works. And I think, crucially for him, sharpness is important. I think his first touch is important. You know, basically, when his, when his touch isn't there and he's a bit loose, it all starts to look a bit scrappy and it kind of becomes more about the shithousing and the free kicks than mm. the quality. But yesterday was not one of those days. His touch was really secure. Um, he had runners around him, crucially. And mm. I think that's why Martinelli is so interesting in combination with him because he's someone who is so determined to go, get in behind, so determined to get those shots off at goal in a way that Lacazette does not always do. So, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. But I thought it wasn't just Lacazette in that first half. I thought that... Um, Arsenal pressed, harried. They were much higher up the pitch. Yeah, I, I was really struck. If you, I bet, if you look at the average positions, that Ben White is about fifteen, twenty yards higher on average than we're used to seeing him. 
And I was thinking about Liverpool and how they made that transition from having quite a deep defence to pushing right up to the halfway line and how that just turned them into this mm. uh, irrepressible force. And obviously Arsenal aren't close to that point yet, but I do think that will be an important transition for this team when we start seeing Gabriel and White doing their work not on the edge of their own box but you know in the centre circle and there were times periods last night where West Ham was so pinned back that that is where they were and that is where they were distributing from and uh, although we didn't create a litany of chances in that first half I, I thought it was uh, it really set the tone and set the tempo. Yeah, it took a little while for the game to to kick off, if you like, because I think mm. the first half an hour, it was two teams that were kind of feeling each other out a little bit. West Ham were sitting yeah. deep. They were looking to counterattack. We were looking for a way through. We couldn't quite find it. I think, I could be wrong, but I think maybe West Ham had the first good chance of the game or the first close chance of the game was the free kick where the guy dived. Uh, Lacazette was back making a tackle uh, in the left oh, back area. Oh, the right wing, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they took a free kick. I think it was Four Nals who then took a shot, Bent which may, uh, was one of those mm. where it was uh, curling. I was going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, but from there, I think we responded well. There was... Um, the Saka chance for Granit Xhaka, which I think, you know, a player with quicker feet would have done more with. Or a right say. foot, yeah. Or a I right mean, foot, I, yeah. I don't know if anyone else had this feeling, but because of the position the player was in, my instant thought was that that was Martinelli stood there because he was kind, he kind <laughs> of ghosted inside, dark hair, into the penalty box. And I was like, in my head, I was thinking, go. Uh, and then I realised it was Granite Shaka, and I was like, ah, OK. Not exactly who you'd want it to fall to, but that was the move that led to Kieran Tierney um, yeah. hitting the bar with a, a really good effort, actually. Good save, but, I think. Yeah. Good save yeah. from Fabianski. Um, yeah, who played well, you know, but I, I think um, Saka was uh, electric oh, at times oh. in that first half. And Masuaku had a, a torrid time, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And it was great. And I enjoyed his uh, the torridity that we <laughs> unleashed upon him. I mean, Saka, I, I don't even know how we can... What do we say? He's just something else. And I know people sometimes like to look at players and say, well, uh, how how... How many goals has he scored? How many assists has he made? Et cetera, et cetera. But Saka brings something to the way that this team plays. Mm. Um, like, I want more goals and I want more assists from him. But his contribution last night was was fantastic because it helped pin West Ham back. It helped liberate some of our other players. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's remarkable. Um, there was the Lacazette chance, wasn't there, just before halftime, Martinelli. Um Almost got on the rebound. I think is it Craig Dawson? Yeah, he had a, he had a good half, didn't he? Especially that first yeah. half, keeping us out. Yeah, um, they were missing a few of their defenders. In fairness, but as we said, they were a very well organised unit. I'm not sure it made mm. a massive difference. But again, that that came from Saka down the right, a really fizzed a pass across the box into Lacazette. Decent effort from him, and I don't know if Martinelli would have been flagged offside or not, but. That was a, a decent opportunity, actually, and right before half-time. There were some really nice touches as well from Odegaard, I thought, in that first 45 Yeah, he was minutes. very bright in the first half, I thought. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and again, worked hard off the ball too. So, yeah, I thought it was one of those halves where I, I thought Arsenal did really well. I can't lie, I had 
a couple of anxieties at halftime. One about if we would be able to sustain the performance. Um, yeah. and, and secondly, about if we would end up kind of going a bit gung-ho looking for the goal and if that might suit West Ham because they do offer a threat on the break. Um, but I think the fact that we scored... I mean, I'd have to look, but it felt quite soon after half time. Yeah, 43 minutes, helpful. something like that. Right. In the 48th minute, I think the, the goal. Minutes, right. Yeah. I'm just going to look here at the live blog. Yeah, the 48th minute. So there was a sack of shot just before that. And then the goal, Gabriel fed Mar- uh, Lacazette. Lacazette with a great ball inside the defenders. The first touch from Martinelli is absolutely brilliant absolutely Mm. brilliant with his left foot Mm. to sort of just put it out in front of him and then the curling effort into the bottom corner I mean we all know who that reminds us of that kind of finish but Mm. it was you know it was very very similar to a Thierry Henry finish no less no less in my opinion than what Martinelli deserved based on the way that he played the effort the endeavor the 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 commitment to his defensive work as well was absolutely sensational there was one brilliant tackle in the first half i can't remember who it was on but you know he chased back won the ball back in midfield um and this is a young man who you know a lot of people have been wanting to see more of and i certainly wanted to see more of him he's been almost held back you would say and now that he's in the team he's just really really stepped up and taken his chance hasn't he absolutely and i you know i hold my hands up as someone who i had a few few weeks ago or months ago i couldn't have told you really where he was in his development because we weren't seeing very much of him and when we were it was only fleeting glimpses mm. he didn't have much rhythm uh he was struggling for fitness here and there but he's on a really good run of games. I mean, you think about him coming on, scoring that goal um, from that Tommy Asu pass the volley. Was that against Newcastle? Um, yeah. Newcastle or Watford. Those games have sort of collided yeah, in my mind yeah, into yeah. one. But um, since then, I thought he went to Old Trafford, was very, very good. He's retained his place in the team. Brilliant goal last night. He actually said on Match of the Day in his post-game interview that it was something they worked on in training. I mean, no surprise there if you're going to play Lacazette and Martinelli that you would work on one dropping deep and one going in behind. And the, and the thought, one, you know, the the that combination, it's always exactly. going to be Lacazette dropping deep, yeah. Definitely. And, and, you know, no great surprise, but interesting nonetheless. Also, by the way, he seems to have uh, the potential to inherit the Hector Bellerin Latin Cockney accent. <laughs> yeah, I, it's I good. hear hints of it here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he just, he really, I have to say, he looked a star uh, last night. I know all his family were there and uh, it was uh, really a thrill for him to score that goal. But, you know, he, even on Sky, uh, BT Sport rather, his little wink at the end of his post-match interview, he was revelling in that moment. That's the, second, and, uh, that's the second time I've seen that. He did that a couple of weeks ago as well. It might have been after the Newcastle game. Uh, I've got a picture of it somewhere where he goes yeah. off and he does a big like... Yeah, well, it's, it's that was it's, me winking. A, by the way, <laughs> it's a gifable uh, moment for sure, yeah. and it might become his trademark if he keeps playing like this. I mean, yeah, he was fantastic, really excellent, everything you would want. Mm. To be honest, I, 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 I watched it and I thought it feels like Martinelli is playing like the left winger Mikel Arteta wanted Aubameyang to be, because he can truly do a bit of everything. He can work back. He can, you know, it's not a problem for him to be in his own Mm. half because he's got 
a bit of defensive work rate. He's got, um, but he's also got that ability to get into the final third, to get shots off, uh, to, you know, to create chances for others. I mean, he he was flying after the goal. That little nutmeg that he produced oh. on the halfway line. Yeah, yeah, yeah was the sensational moment of the game, really. I mean, it was jaw-dropping that he managed to pull that off. And I loved the goal. I loved the goal. Yeah, I, I said it. I said in my post-match video, actually, as much as it reminded me of Thierry Henry, that it also reminded me of Theo Walcott, which feels like a, less of a, a compliment to Martinelli, but I don't mean it as such, because I think in a similar fashion, he is a guy who is very focused on end product. He's someone who... Mm comes to life in that final 30 yards of the pitch and who offers real threat in behind. Um, someone else on Twitter actually messaged me and said they thought it reminded them of Anelka, and I, I know what they mean. I mm. mean, it's just that that instant flash of pace and that composed finish, the first touch that sets it up for him, the beautifully yeah. curled side foot, with lots of power in it too, by the way. It's yes. not a trickled effort yeah, into yeah, the yeah, far yeah. corner. Yeah. That's what makes it... Uh, that's what... That's how you score it. You can't, you yeah. can't just curl it towards there because Fabianski will get down and save it. You've got to use pace and control on that, which is what I think uh, made it so impressive. And I thought Mikel Arteta's yeah. comments about him afterwards were quite interesting too, where he said he's able to put some gears into his play. Sometimes he's still doing everything at 100 miles an hour, but the energy and quality he shows at times is top. So I think that's fascinating. Yeah, actually, so do because- I. Very interesting. Yeah, because we've kind of wondered what is it about Martinelli that's made Arteta hesitant, should we say, to use him more regularly. And I think there's a bit of an insight there, clearly, in terms of adding these layers and dynamics to his play. Mm. Um, And, uh, you know, that's absolutely what we saw. I was, yeah, so impressed with him. And and it's a great goal. Credit as well. Gabriel starts it off with... Uh, a decent pass as well into Lacazette and um, you know his his distribution from the back this season I think feels markedly better than it did last year yeah. so you've got to give some credit we, to him we there. don't tend to score a lot of goals like that where it happens in straight lines it's basically Gabriel to Lacazette yeah. Lacazette to Martinelli Martinelli in and it's like straight up that inside left channel if you like um, and I, I don't think um, West Ham would be overly thrilled with it I, I do wonder no that's we'll true com- we'll come to the penalty and David Moyes slightly hung Soufal out to dry on the penalty incident. And I suspect that there may have been some irritation mm. lingering from the first goal as well. Because, um, yeah, I think they could have done better, but yeah. who cares about them? Yeah, exactly. Who cares about them? So let's talk about the penalty. I have to say, when I watched it in real time, I thought it was quite soft. After some replays, uh, yeah, I think it's a penalty. And uh, maybe, maybe the, the the second yellow is a little harsh, but given that he's made a tackle in the box and not quite prevented a goal-scoring opportunity, I think those two things played into it. He did catch him. He came in pretty hard, slid in in the box. He got some of the ball but followed through into Lacazette. So it's one of those where... You can say he got the ball, but um, the the force of the challenge made the referee's mind up, I think. Yeah, uh, Moyes was really interesting on it. I mean, he basically said, I thought it was an easier tackle than he made it look, you know, that he could mm. have got to the ball. He was there first. He almost goes over the ball. It's odd, isn't it? He, yeah. He goes higher than he needs to, and he sort of clips the top of the ball and takes the rest of it, I think, with his follow-through. I, like you didn't really think it was a penalty in real time 
having and, and probably not even on the first replay, but having looked at it yeah. a few times, you can absolutely see why it was given. So credit to the referee. There were actually a few instances in the game where he really took his time over a decision and it kind of jars visually because you feel like he's let it go and then he comes back. Yeah, but, I noticed that. There was one, yeah. a free kick on Lacazette maybe just outside their box, which took about 10 seconds to give. And I was That's going, right. what are you doing? But I, I think... That's sort of fine with me. You know, I think a bit of thinking time, if you get it right, is fair enough. Yeah. So um, so then, yeah, I fancied Lacazette, I have to say. So did I. So did I. I mean, based on the way he was, I mean, it was at odds with the rest of his performance. Where do you put this on the poor penalty versus good save-ometer? I think I, I have it quite high on the good save, actually. I think it was a, a, a very good save. What do you think? My initial thought, I'm going to watch it again, um, is that it was not quite as emphatic a penalty as I thought it would be. Uh, He's never missed for Arsenal before. I think he was eight from eight previously. I think it's actually... I'm watching again here. I think he it's forgot about the, the go yeah, on. You I think it's for me more of a weak penalty than a good save. Okay, for me. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I'm not watching it right now, but my my reaction at the time was good save. I think, yeah, I mean, listen, it's 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 one of those, isn't it? He the keeper guesses the right way, and so it's got to be a good, a very good penalty from that point on. So let, let um, me, yeah. I mean, let me ask you this, leaving the penalty to one side. It's saved, we get on with it, we've got 10 men, or they've got 10 men, we have a man advantage. Mm -hmm. I mean, were you nervous at all? Because, you know, in that situation when, like at 2-0 and them down to 10 men, you're thinking, well, this is game over, we can just play the rest of this out, everything's going to be nice and comfortable. But, you know, it only takes a second. 10 men is a disadvantage, but not the biggest disadvantage. We've seen teams uh, do things with 10 men before. And to me, I, I, I could not get the specter of the Everton game out of my mind because, you know, we were 1-0 up um, and then uh, Everton scored a couple of late goals. So I, I have to say, I I felt or certainly sensed a little bit from the crowd a, a bit of nervousness, a bit of anxiety, not necessarily in the way that we played, but I think we did begin to sit a little bit deep and... Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I think there was a bit of anxiety. I think mm. there was. And certainly, you know, there was from me. And uh, I, I think those moments, you know, a penalty save, when the game appears about to be over and then, you know, you're rescued and there also there's a sense of injustice, which there was among the West Ham players, they can produce slight momentum swings. Mm. And I think... It becomes a kind of catch-22 for Arsenal because in some respects they're like, well, come on to us, West Ham, because you've only got 10 men and there's going to be space for us to exploit on the break. And that was key in the second goal mm. we scored. But equally, I completely understand your feeling, and and I felt like this too, if, you know, if Arsenal could put their foot on the ball here, this is probably a little bit easier than we're, we're making it look with that extra man advantage. I think Martin Odegaard coming off I mean it's a tricky one because Smithrow comes on and scores the goal mm. but I, I think uh, we did lose a bit of control actually in that moment but but equally I think what Smithrow gives you that Odegaard doesn't as much 
is that counter-attacking ability and that speed and that ability to go from one end of the pitch to the other very, very quickly. And that's how we sealed the game. So, yeah, it's a it's a balance, certainly. Yeah, it was a, an interesting change because I thought maybe it might be Martinelli because he was on a yellow card and there was a moment where Antonio mm. ran past him and he made a, not a huge foul, but I think if Antonio had gone down, that would have been potentially a second yellow card for Martinelli, particularly when he's already given one to West Ham and a penalty, which he might feel is contentious. I know referees shouldn't make decisions that feel like they're evening things up, but, you know, that's human nature and that's the way it works sometimes. But he did yeah. take Odegaard off, and I think you're right, we did lose a little bit of control. He wasn't as good in the second half as he was in the first half. There was an incident where I think he played a pass to Xhaka, who was on his on his heels, wasn't really ready for it, and, and they had a chance. Ramsdale made a save. Ramsdale was booked for time-wasting then a bit later on. So there were various things, but he brought um, Smithrow on, um, what was it, three minutes to go when we scored the second goal, the goal that absolutely sealed the game for us. Mm, um, mm. I mean, it's seven goals in 12 games since he started scoring like since he opened his his account for the season in the EFL Cup and wow. it's a really really impressive run of form from a player who very obviously feels confident about um, his ability to make a contribution in front of goal when he gets into the right positions it's one of the things people talked about last season was well can he score can he can he provide the end product that you're looking for from an Arsenal number 10 and mm. Well, he absolutely can. It was a, a lovely finish between the legs. And um, yeah, I mean, that makes the game safe. And I think when you score a goal like that, the nervousness and the anxiety that you feel is instantly replaced. And I don't want to downplay our performance or anything like it, because I think it was, you know, it was such a big result, such a big game in the circumstances, all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, it wasn't... Um, how do I put this? Like that that sort of icing on the cake goal, that goal that sealed it, cements the the sense that you have of the game of being one where we had a lot of control, if you know what I mean, even though it came quite late. Does that make sense? It does, but do you not think it was a fair reflection? Oh, I do, I do, I do, I do. Goal? Absolutely. Yeah. I thought we, I, I'm just saying that when it's 1-0, that you, you have this fear don't you that we could do something or that they could get a goal or they produce a moment of quality and unless yeah. you get that second goal then you're you're open to that kind of sucker punch if you like so I mm. think we were more than uh, worthy of the win I think we absolutely deserved it I think the scoreline was um, perhaps not quite a fair reflection I think we could have scored more goals but until such time as you get it you can't feel as happy with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. And it's not secure and it's not... Um, yeah. And it's very stressful to watch. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, I'll admit at 1-0, I was uh, a very nervous man because I knew what was at stake for this team and mm. what a sucker punch would have felt like. I mean, there was only really that deflected Bowen shot that um, threatened yeah. us, but ne you never know with West Ham. It only takes a set piece. It only takes a corner. 
and suddenly they're right back in it. Um, but we did have other chances. I mean, Gabrielle had a volley. Uh, Saka went, just wide as well. I mean, that was so unlucky, you know. Like, it goes through the player's legs, takes a nick off his heel and goes wide. That was a really good move and might well have been the goal that Saka deserved. Um, I, I, th- I think West Ham did us a few favours. I didn't quite understand why it took them so long in the second half to put Antonio through the middle of the pitch. Oh, yeah, I was going to say that to you, actually. Yeah. Like, they played him basically as a kind of a right-back, and it was like, okay, thank you. Um, because Maybe they thought that would be the space behind Tierney, you know, to exploit. But, I, I mean, if you ask Gabriel and Ben White, I'm sure they were delighted that yeah. he stood out there. why not? But I think when they did have to deal with him, they dealt with him well. Yeah, they you know? did. There's a great picture today of... Uh, Ben White standing over Antonio, who's sort of flying through the air. <laughs> sort oh, really? Of him flying, yeah, it's really nice. But uh, I, I think um, just on the second goal, a couple of things. I, I think Tommy Asu did well in his yeah. own half. He kind of lost and then won a duel, you know, really battled to win the ball back. Saka carried it well. And, and I, I I can't speak highly enough of, of what Smith Rowe does in terms of cutting inside, hitting that with his left foot. Is, is it? Am I right in thinking he's done that already this season there was a goal um, where he came inside onto his left and scored I'm pretty sure but um, was it again I mean again it was Newcastle or Watford one of these sorts of games (laughs) Uh, but he he now has seven like you say Odegaard has four and it's easy to sort of debate oh you know which player should we be playing and which is better and who should be number 10 to have 11 goals before Christmas from those two attacking midfielders is great. Yes. It's really good. And, you know, between them, they are making a big contribution to the Arsenal attack. And that's what we need. We need options. We need quality. Yeah. and, And we need goals from that part of the pitch. And when you see, you know, Martinelli starting to score now, Saka could very well have had the goal in this game. It's promising. Yeah. That's definitely promising. That part of the pitch... Behind the centre forward, Arsenal have got a, a, a fantastic set of young players. Mm. And I think that was incredibly exciting, actually, the way in which those four, I felt, played at different points in this game really had me buzzing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, the potential. This is what I mean when I talk about the potential. And um, Smith Rowe, the fact that he can score with both feet. Manchester United goals with his left foot. Um, mm. And there was also a goal against uh, Wimbledon in the EFL Cup. I'm just looking at it here now. Uh, let me see. I'm thinking of a different goal, but I've realised it's not with his left. It's the one where he sort of sw- comes onto the ball and sweeps it into the corner uh, with his right, which which was sort of, again, it felt like a goal that sort of set the seal on a game. But anyway, it, the point is... If he's scoring enough goals that I can't remember them individually, Leicester? he's doing okay. Leicester? No, no, he's definitely at home because I was I was in the crowd. Spurs? But might have been Spurs. Might have been Spurs. That was a sack across from the right hand side. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I've invented this goal in my mind, but let's it's not just worry a about beautiful that. amalgam of all the goals that he scored this season. Yeah, he's been really great. And obviously that will be a positive moment for him. He probably was disappointed not to start the game. Came on and did exactly 
uh, yeah. what you would want him to do. Well, look, I think your your point about these guys, about Saka, about Martinelli, about uh, Odegaard, Smith Rowe, etc., is is a really good one. I've got a question about that actually in the second part, so I'll, okay. I'll put that one to you. Uh, but you know, it is a. <laughs> It's this this thing, I don't know whether it's something we do as football fans, is like, well, does it have to be, it's this guy or this guy? Well, why can't it be all of them? Why can't it be both of them? Why can't it be one at a time? Why can't it be one for like 60 minutes of a game, another for 30 minutes of a game? You know, yeah. it's not, the things aren't always mutually exclusive. So, you know, to have these options available to us, particularly at a time when we have issues with our strikers, there's no two ways mm-hmm. about that. For the slack to be taken up by these guys behind them is amazing. And if we could augment what they do with somebody up front who's a bit more prolific, then you can see how this team could take another step forward. Yeah. I mean, I think that's another reason, actually, that I feel quite encouraged and excited is that the areas for improvement seem quite obvious to me mm. at this point. You know, it it really doesn't take a genius. And we know, we already know that Arsenal are looking at centre-forward and central midfield and thinking, how can we get better? Mm. You know, how can we improve in these parts of the pitch? And to be in that position where, essentially, as regards the first 11, those are the two positions that we're talking about from where we were 12 months ago is a big step forward. Mm. And it's because a lot of work was done in the summer. And... um, a lot of it so far has has really paid off. So, yeah, I I thought this was um, a really important night. It's really, I mean, it's important for Mikel Mikel Arteta as well. You know, he he, he made a a big call on the captaincy. And I think when you do things like that, it's kind of doubly important that you get results. Otherwise, you know, these things are going to become sticks to beat you with. So Mm. he's he's come through that period um, looking quite strong. Mm. Well, yeah, particularly after everything that's gone on this week. So, um, yeah. Look, like you say, big win, important win, into the top four. It might only be temporary, but the fact that we're there... We've all got nosebleeds, guys. Yeah, but look, (laughs) the fact that we're there... um, You know, because it's, it's not unfair, just before we go into the break, like we've said, you go on... A good run after the opening uh, three games of the season. You go on a good run. You get yourself into the mixer, and you're thinking, "Okay, is this real? Is this is this sustainable? Is this is this genuine?" You know. Mm. Then you have the West Ham or the Everton and Man United games, and you're 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 doubting again. And then you have a game like this where you absolutely have to do something in this game to convince people that what you're doing is is actually real, you know? And I know we've still got a long way to go. We've got loads to prove still. We've got areas that we can improve in. Um, but you can't argue with the league table right now. And based on where we were at the start of this season and how people were feeling at the start of this season, I, I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. Whether we can sustain it, how long we can sustain it for, you know, whether we can maintain this level and, and keep in that top four chase remains to be seen. But the fact that we're there right now and there are things that we're really encouraged about, it feels great, to be honest. It feels really good, um, you know, to, to be able to focus on some of the positive things that despite all the fucking many 
circuses and dramas and things that surround this football club on a daily basis, like I said, it comes down to what you do on the pitch. And there was a lot to like about last night and what it says about where we could potentially go with this group of players. I'm not saying we're there yet. We're still very much on the journey, but um, it feels a lot better than it did a while ago, for sure. Oh, I mean, imagine if I'd said to you, after that Man City game, three three matches into the season, rooted at the bottom of the Premier League table without having scored a single goal, that the week before Christmas we'll be fourth. Um, mm. I think you would have thought I was just insane. And you probably would have asked me who the manager is. And, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, and I think, you know, it's been yeah. a, a turnaround and there have been other teams, you know, factored into that by not picking up results we may be expected. But... It is a it is a hell of a turnaround, and I think being in that fourth position, you know, we, we say, you know, can they prove it's real? Can they convince us? Mm. I think when you've got a group of young players, I think it's as much about convincing themselves. I think it's as much about really believing that this is possible. I think we have to remember how many of these players are not accustomed to this they're not accustomed to fighting in the top six of a table someone like Ben White that's not really been their football experience to this point Aaron Ramsdale's had two consecutive relegations you know Tommy Asu comes from being a a mid-table player in in Serie A essentially Mm. you know there is an adjustment for this group to make. You know, the, the young players, of course, n- have never been in anything like this before, the academy graduates. So I think there is kind of... Um, Arteta can tell them as many times as he likes, you, you can do this, this is feasible, we can achieve this, but they need to know it and believe it themselves. And I think the value of a result last night is enormous in that respect. And I do think... I mean, I'm very... I'm absolutely buzzing off this game because I I do think that it provided a very timely reminder of the things that are positive and the things that are Mm. hopeful. And when things don't go our way, it is easy to, I think I said this on Monday, but I think it's easy to forget that the good moments this season, I think have felt unusually good. They felt a lot better than the last few years in some ways. And I don't think that's just a recency bias on my part. And the, the reason is that, we can all see that these players, by and large, should get better. Well, um, yeah, that's exactly it, isn't it? It's like, oh, Martinelli scores a goal. This Martinelli scoring a goal like that feels an awful lot better than Willian at last scoring a goal after 30-odd appearances. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. it, it's just... Because the, the likelihood was that Willian wasn't going to be better the following season. Yeah. But when you look at the ages of this group... And you say, okay, well, there's signs of progress this season. And you think, well, what could they be next season? I'm not trying to write the season off. There's so much to play for still. But fundamentally, the direction, I think, is is maybe more uh, positive than we've mm. uh, been able to see in, in recent weeks. So, yeah, I thrilled last night. Was, uh, from what I hear, an absolutely buzzing atmosphere in the ground too, which is great. So, yeah, exactly what the doctor ordered. Um and, 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 you know, in fairness, exactly what I said would happen. I also said we'll lose to Leeds at the weekend. So let's hope I'm wrong about yeah, that. Yeah, let's hope you're wrong about that. We need Dr. Football with a prescription of a win at Elland Road on, on yeah. Saturday. Okay. I, my heart slightly sank when I saw them get absolutely battered by Man City. I just thought, like, 
you know, that's the sort of thing that happens to teams just before they beat Arsenal. But I hope to God I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, there's that that line between, well, they're going to be absolutely determined to respond or, you know, also they could be absolutely bereft of confidence and completely shell-shocked. So it might take them a while to get going again. Fingers crossed that is something we can take advantage of. Right, let's take a break here. We will come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arseblog and also on the Arseblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arseblog member on Patreon. Do you mind if I start, James? Not at all. Mr. Rightside on the Discord says, Goodly morning, gentlemen. Goodly morning to you. What do you make of Arteta shoving Martinelli back onto the pitch with that knock? Trying to help him avoid a second yellow for time-wasting or encouraging time-wasting himself? What did you make of it? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It was a strange incident. I guess he was thinking... Well, we're down to 10 men, effectively, um, with you off the pitch. So could you please get on it so that we can stop the play and ensure we have 11 men when the ball is in play? Yeah. Um, I think that was behind it, but it it made for a funny sight, that's for sure. (laughs) What did you think? I thought it was funny. It was absolutely that, wasn't it? It was like, if you're going to go down, don't fucking go down off the pitch. This yeah. is, you know, these are small things that young players have to learn. I always remember, um, do you remember the the Champions League game against Real Madrid at the Bernabeu? And I think Jose Antonio Reyes got fouled and he ended mm. up off the pitch over on the right-hand side as we were looking at it um, oh, yes, in the game. Yes, I so remember this. We were yeah. there and he rolls off, he's off the pitch and then he kind of did a couple of rolls back onto the pitch going, oh, my leg, my leg, my leg. <laughs> and the Real Madrid fans went crazy and the players went crazy, but that's what you got to do. Get onto the pitch and make sure that your team is not, um, well, we wouldn't have been at a disadvantage, but the advantage that we had would have been yeah. gone. So I think it was it was really that, you know, it was just like, get the fuck, get on. Like, because I don't think it was a serious knock. It was a bit of cramp or whatever it was. Um, I know it, there was part of me was going, remember that Thomas Partey thing from last season? That wasn't great, to be honest. But this was, this was different. I think it was really just to make sure that, 
Yeah, the uh, party thing, I think he would, they were asking him to play on, essentially, it looked like. Well, he had to because... Well, he um, was he was coming off with a hamstring injury yeah. that kept him out for ages, whereas, you know, I think that was just... Cramp, yeah. Yeah, this was just cramp. So it was quite funny. It was quite funny. I, I had a good laugh at that. It was good fun. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, it worked out in the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got a question here from the Discord, and the person who's asked it, their name is comprised entirely of emojis. So it's a globe, the world emoji, um, a man with a moustache emoji, a gun next to that man's head, and then another man with a moustache. Make of that what you will. But they ask, whoever they may be, after tonight's performance, is it safe to say that our new striker, TM, will more closely resemble Lacazette's skill set than Aubameyang's? Um, probably. It's always mm. felt like Arteta's wanted a more rounded footballer than Aubameyang up front. Mm. Mm. And Aubameyang, you know, was, is, was, whatever you want to say, like a, an absolutely um, elite penalty box striker for mm. season after season after season. That was his that was his superpower, you know, was just getting on the end of things and scoring goals. Um, I know that hasn't been the case this season or maybe last season as his powers have waned or as the chances that he's been given have dried up um, wherever you stand on that particular one. I think it's, you know, a little from column A, a little from column B. But um, to me, it's always felt like Arteta's wanted a more technically technically secure footballer up there. Mm-hmm. And if and when we go into the transfer market, I don't think we're going to buy a player who is just a finisher. And again, I don't want to be dismissive of Aubameyang by saying he is just a finisher. I think that's what he's best at. You know, suggesting he can't do anything else is wrong, but um, I think Lacazette probably is is um, more in line with what Arteta is looking for up there. I mean, the issue with Lacazette is, is um, also lack of goals, lack of shots. Um, you know, he was absolutely great last night, but... I think he's only had six shots all season, something mm-hmm. like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, this this he's a player I think who whose role has changed a little bit as he's got older, as the legs have slowed up a little bit. Um, he's dropping deeper and deeper and deeper, which can be useful at times. But also, you know, when you need an outlet, we talked about this a couple of games ago, didn't we? When you need an outlet, you don't want your centre forward in the fullback positions making tackles. As much mm-hmm. as you might commend the work rate and the, the the diligence and everything else to do that kind of work, you also need that player to be able to uh, ease the pressure if you're getting out of defensive situations. I mean, like I said, I don't think it was a foul when that guy dived in the the right-back position or the left-back position, our left-back position, but Lacazette was back there making the tackle. So, um, yeah, I think it will be somebody more along those lines, but I hope it's somebody who, you know, is maybe a little bit different in terms of their physicality. Lacazette's quite a a small guy. I think he uses his body well, uses his physicality well, wins free kicks, certainly makes sure to let the referee know when he's been fouled. 
I mean, the, the, the penalty, he definitely made sure the referee knew, but there were a couple of others where I thought he got fouled and, and did the same thing and the referee played on. So, um, yeah, I think it will be more of that. What about you? I think so. I mean, we've talked in the past about a kind of hybrid of the two, but if you if you made me pick one model that I think they'll be closer to, it'd be Lacazette. I don't think they'll be doing that thing that... You know, remember those stories about analytics departments um, developing the capacity to find an identical player, you know, mm. and the stories about Torreira and Kante having such similar profiles. I don't think it'd be anything like that. Like you say, I think they would want to um, adjust. My wife keeps calling me and she knows I'm on a podcast. She knows I'm not going to take it. So you want to answer just doing. in case? Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. Let me just give I'll her just... a quick call and, and explain that I'm on the podcast. Oh, I made the call. Uh, it was nothing. She forgot I was on a podcast. In fairness, it's mm. an extra ask cast extra. That's true. She's not expecting you to be doing things like this on a Thursday. On, on a Thursday? No. Um, soup so, making day. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty cross, actually. The soup's in a terrible state right now. A lot of work still to be done. But, um, so yeah, I, I think what would you change from the profile of Lacazette? And by the way, I think in this conversation, you've also got to think about, well, who are the forwards we will have? You know, so you're mm. looking at maybe Martinelli, maybe Balogun. Definitely, um, Martin. What do you mean, maybe Martinelli? Well, I only Definitely. mean maybe if you're sort of counting him as a centre forward. Right, right, right. Okay, okay, okay. No, he's not going anywhere. Right, don't right, worry right, about that. But um, so you want someone who's complementary to those guys. I think, yeah, Lacazette has the touch, the link play. And I do think... And have thought for some time, if you've got guys like Saka, Smithrow, Martinelli running beyond, who offer that threat in behind, especially if their goal output goes up, someone who links play, provides a focal point, is a really good fit for those players. I think you'd like him to be six inches taller. You'd like mm. him to be an aerial threat yeah. because we haven't really got that. Um, and if you've got Kieran Tierney on one flank, having a guy who can get across the front post and win a header is another string to our attacking bow. Mm. Um, I think you'd like him to have better aerobic fitness than Lacazette and be able to you know, stay in the game for longer than 60, 70 minutes. And in an ideal world, I guess you'd also want them to have ability to get more shots off. Yeah. Um, but I think, to be honest, that there's a case that if you know, out of those four things, if they could do three of them, they would they would bring a lot to the squad. Um, so I think those will be kind of the criteria. Hmm. I mean, we had a question, if you don't mind me asking you a question from Arsenal addict who said, "Is it?" It's a two-part question. Maybe you won't want to do the second part. It says, "Is it time to give Martinelli a run at centre forward?" And would you be surprised? if Aubameyang leaves in January. Let's leave the January aspect. Yeah, because we, do, we don't know. We just don't, we know. don't know. I mean, there's no exactly. point rehashing that. And there's been podcasts this week on that. Is it time to give Martinelli a run as a centre forward? Because that is, you know, in this question of, well, how do you get all four well, of those? Well, yeah, we, we, mm. had an, we had another question here. Let me see. Uh, Joe, who's at Red and White 11, said, and loads of people were asking the same question um, about how you get all four of them in, in the team. Hypothetically, we're in a cup final tomorrow you can only pick three of Saka, Smithrow, Martinelli and Odegaard behind the striker. Who are you guys picking? And 
I think it's a really interesting question because I think you make some good points about the way Lacazette plays and and is uh, good foil for those guys. Mm. But you also need to score goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, it's a really difficult question. But my 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 thought is, without wanting to cheat the answer, is that if I was in a cup final tomorrow, I'd probably play all four of them and play Martinelli as the striker. Really? Mm. Tomorrow? Tomorrow. Because Lacazette would be tired after well, that's- last night. You know? <laughs> Just a bit, yeah. <laughs> he said tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Well, I think, um, yeah, I-, I can see where that comes from. And I do think that could be an option for me, maybe more in the future. I mean, I know Martinelli's played a lot of football on the flanks recently. And I had sort of begun to think that that's where... Arteta absolutely saw him. Um, but a couple of people have said things to me recently that, that indicate that he does think Martinelli could have a future as a central striker, which I think is a really mm. interesting prospect. Um, and my only sort of hesitation would be that how, if Aubameyang's not available for selection, and tomorrow I think we can assume he wouldn't be, does having can you go too young? I don't know if it matters, but does it is it helpful to have someone with Lacazette's experience? Oh, I think and, it is. I think know, it is. Yeah, of, no, no, no. I, I I see it as the hub of that uh, attack. Yeah, I see it. But it's I mean, tricky. It is tricky, and it, it's quite an interesting one because you know that that I just wonder sometimes if we can. I don't know how to explain this. I'm talking about Martinelli as a centre-forward after one goal from a centre-forward type position, and I'm jumping ahead of myself. Um, Maybe I'm going overboard on him, but then Lacazette plays the way he plays last night, and everyone's talking about, well, Lacazette, give him a new deal, give him a new contract, Uh, which I think is, you know, based on what we've seen this season, I still wouldn't do it because... Um, yeah, I, I just, it's a, it's a confusing one. I think we can get a bit swept away in the upside of one game or one or two good games. And the thinking has to be a, a bit more long-term, a bit more strategic. But I mean, do you think, um, I couldn't find a question exactly on this, but do you think that let's just say the Aubameyang thing goes completely south? Yeah. Does that have an impact on Lacazette's future? Or what the club might want to do with Lacazette? I think, I think on this show we've been talking about Lacazette's future as kind of uh, decided, mm. and I, I, in fact, I remember uh, a few weeks ago we did one of our sort of big pieces on the Athletic, and one of the things we said in it is, you know, the club don't rule out the possibility of finding mm. a short-term agreement with Lacazette. Um, but that's not necessarily what the player would want. And and um, I remember sort of being, even as the person writing it, slightly surprised that that was the state of play because in my mind, he was going at the end of his contract. And I still think that is the likely outcome because he's going to be wanting a long-term deal, surely. Oh, oh, being over 30, yeah. three or four years, you know, three years somewhere um, would be security for him. And I, I still think the club would certainly not uh, offer him anything like that. The only thing 
that could change it is the Aubameyang thing, potentially, because, you know, if he does go, um, maybe there's a spot in the squad for Lacazette. But even then, I'm not sure it'd be the right thing to do. And if it did happen, Mm. I think it would, you know, I think anything over an additional 12 months... I'd be extremely surprised. I mean, you're just kicking the can down the road a little bit there. And like circumstances can dictate uh, how you operate. But, uh, you know, if your long-term strategy has always been, well, we want to replace Lacazette, um, maybe you have to... Yeah, look, if you're not going to offer Lacazette a deal um, and the only reason you're doing it is because something has fallen apart elsewhere. Is that the right reason to offer Lacazette a deal? I mean, there's an element of expediency, making things a bit more uh, comfortable for yourself. Maybe he does see a role where he could stay for 12 months. But ultimately, I think you're right. It's like the Enkedia situation. Why would he sign a short-term deal with Arsenal, which would make his chances of getting a longer-term deal somewhere else much more difficult? Same with Eddie. Like, what, is he going to stay and be second, third-choice striker when he wants regular football? So mm. those are those are issues we've got to take into account. Okay, just, yeah, just, go on. Just on Eddie quickly, I saw some sort of uh, consternation about him coming on on the left wing ahead of Pepe. But actually, I think that sub, I just want to say, made a degree of sense because even when that sub was made, I thought, well, clearly, eventually, he's going to bring Lacazette off for Tavares or similar Mm. on the left wing and Eddie's going to switch into centre-forward. And indeed, that is what happened. So I think think when Eddie came on, I mean, clearly, Pepe's out of favour. That's very obvious. Mm. But I think it was with a view to eventually taking Lacazette's position, which was indeed what happened. Yeah. Just quickly on um, Martinelli, I think it's really interesting, like, great goal last night, and uh, I find it interesting, shall we say, that that you would say he scored that goal from a centre-forward position, but I would argue how how often do Arsenal play their centre-forward into that position. How many times sure. have we seen that not, in the last two often. years? And I think and I think there's something to be said for the fact that he makes that run diagonally from the left. I think, you know, that clearly does play to his strengths in some respects. So yeah, it, it's it's gonna be interesting to watch. The other thing about how we fit those four players in is they aren't going to play 90 minutes, are they, every week? And so we had Smith Rowe come off the bench and make an impact. Uh Martinelli, I think, could be a fantastic impact substitute we've seen him do that previously I think we shouldn't stress about this we probably want more than those four players competing for those places Mm. it's a good problem for us to have I think that's fair I think that's fair Um, let me ask is it your question or my question Um, Um, well here's a question that's kind of on a similar theme and Mo uh, at Mo four on at underscore mo four says should we push the boat out and sign a striker in january if getting back into the champions league is our realistic target again it really depends on on what happens with obamiang i think Mm -hmm. because like we've taken a fair amount off the wage bill over the last little while but if you're going to sign a, a striker, yeah. If you're going to sign a striker, you want to sign the right striker. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to push the boat out, if you're going to make that big signing that you think is going to be uh, a player who could be with you for X amount of time, is probably going to cost a lot of money and as such is going to have a, a, a substantial wage that comes with the transfer fee, et cetera, et cetera. Can you carry that? I mean, if you've got Aubameyang still at the club, if fences are mended a little bit, um, I, I don't know. I think it. I think it all depends on that situation, and I've got no insight or uh, idea as to what exactly is going to happen there. Um, I mean, it is an opportunity in a way. Like if Arsenal can come through, if we can get to New Year and be sort of there or thereabouts, still in the top four or or just off it. There might be teams who have games in hand. I'd prefer points on the board to games in hand, to be honest. Particularly as well, especially with the fixture list, yeah, yeah it's going to pile up. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be intense for some of these teams. It is, um, and uh, I hope uh, they crack under that pressure, all of them. Um, but it would be tempting, wouldn't it? It would be tempting to give you that that extra bit of quality, of depth, of offensive power whatever you want to call it, it would be tempting. But it, it, it depends, A, on Aubameyang and B, if the player you want is available in January. No point making a yeah. signing just for the sake of making a signing. This is, this is a really, really, really important piece of this particular Arsenal puzzle, the striker, mm-hmm. the next striker. Mm-hmm. It's huge. So you've got to get it right. And I'm sure they know who they want or know more or less either who they want or what the qualities of the player that they want are. Whether they've identified exactly the right man, I don't know. I'm sure they have their targets. But is that player going to be available in January? Yeah, and we mentioned Jose Reyes, didn't we, earlier in the show? Yeah. And that's a great example of a player Arsenal long-term tracked, wanted, knew a lot about, and the opportunity came up to do it, I think, earlier than anybody anticipated and they they push the button and I think if they're going to do it this January it will have to be a similar set of circumstances where it's the guy Mm. who they've chosen and it's feasible and they see it as an opportunity to do the deal at a good price or at the right time and that's uh, that that's why it might happen Uh, maybe the Aubameyang situation might change things there a little but they we don't just need a body here we need the guy and yeah i mean right Ra- race is a great example because he was a guy that we were after like someone we'd spotted somebody that we wanted but also let's remember that when we bought um jose antonio reyes he came into a squad with thierry henry dennis bergkamp sylvan wiltord canu jeremy aliadier and also, you know, a host of goal-scoring midfielders um, behind him, yeah. Robert Perez, Freddie Jumberg. So it was adding power to power to power to power. To, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we weren't afraid to do it then at a time when you could have probably made an argument that maybe we need a signing in a different area. But 
you know, as emblematic of the way that Arsene Wenger operated, he wanted his teams to score goals. He wanted that offensive threat from from all over the place that, you know, when one guy didn't do it, you had another guy and then you had another guy. Or if you needed to, you could throw on and finish a game with a forward line of Bergkamp, Reyes, Canu, uh, Henri, you know, Perez, Jumberg, if you wanted. That, that threat was there, just the weight of that goal-scoring potential. So... um We'll have to wait and see what way they view this particular squad and what way they view the um, the January window. And of course, much of that will um, depend on what's what happens with Aubameyang. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whose question is it? I think it is mine. So let me ask you this one. Um, it comes from Keith Monaghan. Who's that? Keith Monaghan too. And he said, "Is it as simple as?" Home good, away bad. We had a few questions along those lines. Um, I mean, we talked about this on Monday a little bit. I do get that sense. Um, it is worth pointing out we've had easier home fixtures than away fixtures. Um, you know, we've played a lot of the the bigger mm. teams away from home. Um. But I do think it makes a massive difference. I think we retain our composure better at home. I think we respond to the crowd. We're more intense at home. I think the level of confidence is generally higher. Uh, The defensive record is substantially better. So, and I don't find that massively surprising given kind of the age profile of the team. I can sort of make sense of it. Maybe it's because we, we used to see it a little bit when Wenger had his young teams, I think that we were quite strong at home mm. and not so strong away. But it, it'll be interesting to see if it flips, basically, in the second half of the season when, you know, the away trips maybe are a bit kinder and the home game is a bit more challenging. I suppose what you hope is that this first half of the season has enabled us to build mm. really good momentum at home. And, and you can have a pretty successful Premier League campaign based around your home form. Um, You know, if Arsenal maintain the Emirates as kind of the fortress it's been for them until the end of the season, they'll be in that mix, I suspect. Um, So I I think you have to try and take the positives from it and just say, you know, what can can they keep that going and can they improve when they go away from home? I mean, I think the thing about the away form is it doesn't have to match, as you say, the home form. No, but you can't do what we did against Everton and Man United week after week after week. You know, you you can't throw away points the way that we threw away points in those games, and even two points on top of what we've got already. You know, two draws. You know, if you said that is the minimum we should have taken from those two games, I, I wouldn't argue with you because, look, we should not have lost to United. We should not have lost to Everton, even if they'd, uh, you know, scored. We should have seen that game out. So twenty nine would have put us on thirty one points. A little bit of wiggle room there, you know. So those things add up. So the improvement Certainly. we need to make away from home is is a, if not marginal, you know, it doesn't take a huge amount to to make us a bit better away from home. So, yeah, I think, you know, setting aside the first three games, particularly that opening day against Brentford, which I am sort of prepared to isolate when discussing the season, I think Everton stands out as the game. Something Arsenal have done quite well this season is they've sort of won the games they should win. Um, And Everton is the one 
that stands mm. out as, uh, and maybe Crystal Palace at home, where they didn't do that. But I think that's what they need to do, start doing away from home. You know, there are a few games coming up. Leeds on Saturday will be interesting. Um, certainly Boxing Day, away to Norwich. Uh, you know, there, there are a few away games on the horizon that you'd like to think Arsenal should be able mm. to travel there and get the result. Yeah. Um, and maybe that will improve the confidence and improve the away form. But that will be a, an interesting thing to keep an eye on. I've got a question quickly yeah. for you here, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah. So this is from DJ Rad B on the Discord. And they say, it seems like the main thing that's key to our improvement is partnerships. Tommy Yasu and Saka, Smith Rowe and Saka, Gabriel and Ben White. Is this the actual upside of no Europe? The consistency and less rotation allowing them to build? Well, I mean, you could argue that being in Europe would give us more time to build those relationships. But I think it's it's clear that if not necessarily partnerships, um, understanding between your players on the pitch, whoever plays, is really important. Um, I've I've long thought that a big part of our issue was well last season and the season before the way we had to rotate the back four was never helpful. It couldn't be helpful when you've got players coming in; they don't get to to play together consistently. And now we have what looks to be uh, a back four that's set in stone. Um, you know, I know Nuno can come in on the. On the left for Kieran Tierney, but Ben White and Gabrielle, you have to have a central defensive partnership. You've just got to. You have to. It's like uh, Koscielny and Mertesacker. It's like Colo Toure and Saul Campbell. You know, you, you've got to have these partnerships in key positions. I, I'm less convinced, let's say, by, by Partey and Shaka than I am by some of the others. But clearly understanding and, and playing together with some frequency and getting to know each other and the way um, your your teammates operate. And a lot of these guys are really new. Mm. You know, Gabrielle's only here a year, just over a year. Ben White arrived in the summer, Tommy Yasu. Um, you know, Smith Rowe isn't a year as a first team player at Arsenal. You know, so it's great to see these things emerge and they will get better and should get better over time. Um I don't think it's as simple as just partnerships. I, I think you need to be able to replicate those um, when some of those players aren't there. So, you know, if Pepe came in for Saka, for example, if there was a, a scenario where that had to happen, you'd hope that himself and Tommy Asu could connect. Um, I know it's different when they don't play together as much, but I think it's more about the, the, the system that the manager puts in place or the way that he asks the team to play where... I'm not saying players and, and parts are interchangeable, but you you need them to come in and be aware and know what exactly it is that they, they have to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, and on the subject of partnerships, uh, I do just marvel at the improvement in our right-hand side. I think it is um, mm. quite dramatic. And I think Tommy Astley has to take a lot of credit for that. Odegaard too. And Saka is, is flying at the moment. But... Tommy Asu, I think, is a really interesting one because I think sometimes when a player is not flash, we we sometimes underestimate the value. We underestimate their technical level. Like I think there's a real humility about the way that he 
uses the ball. It's very um, deliberate. And there were a couple of passes yesterday that didn't work out for him. There were a couple of moments, but I just think he's a very reliable footballer mm. and has been since the moment yeah, yeah. he came into the team. And it's not just his defensive qualities. I do think the way he uses the ball, there is an intelligence about it. Um, he sort of understands... Yeah, maybe he understands some of his limitations, but I think he's quite adept within that. And, uh, yeah, I, I've been so impressed with him. I yeah. really, really have. I mean, a lot of Premier League clubs looked at him over the past 18 months, two years, and uh, didn't go for it, you know, and, and Arsenal did, and it's it's really paid off. So well, far. it is a slightly unusual... He is physically an unusual... Yeah. Uh, right back or a lot or of people didn't you know? know what he was I think a lot of people were saying you know is this guy right back is he a centre half and I think, he's I think he could be both to be honest he's a bit of both yeah, yeah. he I really think he is I both. mean I'm sure he's a very good centre half but we haven't seen it because he's played basically every minute hasn't he since yeah. he arrived since he had touched down in London yeah they said something minute, on right. the telly line said this is his 14th or 15th consecutive start in the Premier League and I was going yeah. wow that many you know, yeah. it feels, yeah, like he only arrived yesterday. But, yeah, like you, I, I'm very, very impressed with him. Um, let's do a couple of quick ones to finish off. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate that we have to touch on this, but Gwigzy on the Discord says, uh, Goodly morning, what's your take on Thomas Frank's request to postpone all of Saturday's fixtures with an already con uh, congested fixture list? Is it best to go all in and repeat a whole game week or just postpone individual games, thus creating a messy catch-up? And if you haven't been... Um, uh, aware of this, uh, Brentford's manager, Thomas Frank, uh, their game against Manchester United was called off. Uh, he said, we should think, uh, we think we should postpone the full round of Premier League games this weekend. COVID cases are going through the roof at all Premier League clubs. Everyone is dealing with it and having problems. To postpone this round and also the Carabao Cup round next Tuesday and Wednesday would give everyone a week at least or four or five days to clean and do everything at the training ground so everything is clean and you break the chain. Mm. It's, um, well, well, something about the situation is not sustainable. You know, with the the rising cases, the amount of games that are going to be postponed, such a tight fixture list next year because you've got a Winter World Cup and everything that means and that comes with that. It's, uh, it is worrying. And I... Arsenal are blessed to not be in Europe right now with all the difficulties that offers mm. with travel and extra games to fit in. Um, I, I have to be honest and say, I think that some sort of change is inevitable. Like if it is a complete break to kind of reset circuit breaker, as they call it, and try and do these deep cleans and get COVID out of these training grounds, Maybe that's a possibility. I, I worry about attendances and I worry about stadiums remaining full. I mean, uh, Dr. Kanani on the UK, on the England rather government briefing yesterday said, my advice is if you're going to a stadium at the weekend, make it one way where you can get a vaccine rather than going to watch a match. And yet these stadiums are still full capacity. There feels like an obvious tension there. I have no idea what's going to happen. and mm. But I am... 
I am concerned. And, and you know, the, the, the process for postponing games is very kind of uh, ad hoc, it seems to me, that exists within the Premier League. You know, it's a case-by-case uh, basis. There isn't really a kind of formal, structured postponement request system. Um, and that feels like a significant mm. oversight at this particular time. Yeah, it's it feels very opaque, doesn't it? This, um, whatever they're doing, I, I, I guess you do have to look at things on a case-by-case basis, but I think there also needs to be a measure of transparency and consistency when it comes to decision-making, when games are mm. called off. Um, and also, did at you, what I mean, point, I mean, Watford went down two hours before yeah. kickoff, was it? I mean, I think these decisions, in as far as possible, need to be made within a time frame that 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 fans can deal with yeah. as well, because I'm sure there were Watford fans arriving in Burnley at that time expecting to see a football match. Yeah, and look, we've, we've had our own experience of this, which, uh, you know, was informed, I think, by... A, the situation back then not being quite as um, precarious as, as, it, yeah. as it is now. It was also the first game of the season. I don't think they were ever going to call off the first game of the season, particularly as it was Friday night. And it was the, you know, it was literally the first game of the season. Um, but yeah, there needs, this is, this at the end of the day, look, health and uh, people's well-being is by far the most important thing. Mm -hmm. But when you're dealing with sport and rules which are applied to uh, sporting competitions, there has to be consistency. You cannot be accused, and I know people will say, um, might laugh at this, but there has to be a measure of integrity when it comes to decision-making in sports. And I'm sure there's a lot of Formula One fans listening to this right now going, well, that doesn't seem to work for us. Uh, but, you know, there has to be as much as possible. So you need to have some knowledge of what the threshold is or what are the conditions under which a game is likely to be played or not played. And nobody knows right now. Nobody has any idea what the threshold is for for cases. Um and with the rise in this new variant and everything else, it seems inevitable that all football clubs, unless they go into operating very, very, very strict bubbles again, which I don't know how that can even happen when players have families and kids who go to school and all of those kind of things. Um, it just seems like football has held it at bay for quite a while. But as we've seen over the last few days, football's not exempt and this thing will find a way in and and more postponements are inevitable. So I don't know what, what the whether the clubs have an input into this, whether the Premier League or the, the authorities are saying, is there anything we can do or do they just sort of go with it until such point as they have to make a decision based on, um, you know, whatever's happened? Yeah, and uh, I would be surprised if there's a club in the Premier League that doesn't have some kind of COVID cases among their staff uh, or training ground staff or players in some capacity. Mm. I mean, Arsenal had a handful of cases among uh, first-team staff last week and 
Um, you know, they took all the necessary precautions. They've gone back to testing players in their car before they can even enter the training ground. Mm. It's very much a kind of lockdown one operation again. Um, credit to them because, you know, they've been able to keep going and we've been fulfilling our fixtures. But it's very precarious right now, the situation here in the UK. And, you know, the isolation rules are still what they are. They're still quite um, stringent, particularly with this new variant coming in. So I, I find it hard to foresee more games not falling by the wayside. And there's an almighty row brewing about AFCON as well, by the way, which... You know, the, the ECA clubs desperately don't want to release their players for that tournament. And although uh, all the sort of big authorities are saying they have to, I think there's going to be more back and forth and more resistance to the idea yeah. of players travelling for that tournament. It is one of I those... players will come under pressure. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's unfair to put it on the players to make decisions about things like this. You know, uh, for AFCON, for example, you know, players mm. shouldn't be the ones who have to say, well, no, I don't think it's right for me to go. You know, there shouldn't be any pressure from that um, side of things. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's just one of those where you think a situation is what it is one week and seven days down the line, it's completely different and completely changed. And you know, I guess that is the nature of a pandemic. Um, yeah, I mean, anecdotally, from being sort of on the ground here in London, I can tell you that my uh, Christmas social calendar has basically evaporated in the last 48 hours. You know, mm. quite a few people, even if it was just like, oh, let's meet one-to-one for a pint or a coffee. Some of that has been cancelled and knocked off. And I think... Um, Mm. That speaks to the uncertainty people are feeling right now. So it's no great surprise that football is affected too. And I'm, uh, yeah, uh, we'd be lying if we said we had any real idea what was going to happen. Yeah. Well, look, I hope everybody out there stays safe and well and healthy um, in the days and the weeks to come, and that the disruption to football is is minimal. Because, uh, look, as selfish as it sounds. It is a great distraction for all of us as, as fans. Um, we remember very clearly what it was like without football last year. Um, there were good reasons for that, very obviously, but uh, I, I don't think any of us want to get into a situation again where, you know, there's just no football. Um, we're all shut away and locked down and all that kind of stuff. So fingers crossed uh, it can continue. Right. Um, I think we probably better leave it there for now. Hey, can yeah. I oh, yeah. hijack the podcast for two minutes? Yeah, of course. So, uh, basically, we get loads of correspondence on the for doing the pod. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you do too. People are generally really lovely. Uh oh, um, and this sounds like, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it's going to be really bad. But no, we got a letter from Steve, who has a <laughs> bone to pick. <laughs> no, I had a message on Instagram. I, I found it in my kind of mm. other messages folder. And um, I wanted to just reference it because it was so touching and it kind of it bore some relevance to the COVID situation and National Health Service and things like that. But basically, um, for context, for, I'm sure you're all aware by now, but I wrote a book about my grandfather, the differences in our lives. He was a boxer. And one of the parallels that exist in our life is that he died in the hospital where I was born, Watford General. Mm. I should bowl a Countsby, a Watford fan. 
and he was looked after in a, a ward there called Bluebell Ward, which was a dementia ward. So that's the, the background. I got this message and it says, Hi, James, hope you're well. I've been meaning to write you a message for a while now and given as I'm currently in isolation, I thought, why not? My mum and I listened to the Askcast on the regular. It was my mum who recommended me to give it a listen. And my mum has asked me for your book, The Champ and the Chump, for Christmas. It is, in fact, the only thing she's asked for because she looked after your grandfather on the Bluebell Ward at Watford General. That ward has since been turned into a COVID ward, but she's still a nurse on the current dementia and delirium ward there. You definitely won't remember her, but she remembers you working away on the laptop when you visited your grandfather. And she would wonder whether you were uploading a blog my mum really enjoyed looking after Terry, and in fact, he gave her a little signed card of himself, which is proudly displayed on our bookcase. She is so hardworking, so kind to her patients, and I love hearing all the lovely things she has to say about them and their relatives, such as yourself and your grandfather. She's had to work so hard, especially during COVID, and to be honest, I think what gets her through the long shifts is listening to Andrew and yourself on the way back home in the car and a somewhat occasional Arsenal win. I'm not sure what I was hoping to gain from this essay and I'm not sure if you would even ever read this, but I just wanted to let you know you have a very devoted and special fan. Her name is Karen and that Terry and yourself have an extremely special place in my mum's heart. And I just, I received that message. I was so moved by it, mm. um, as you can probably tell. Yeah, I can hear from <laughs> and, and, and I, and, uh, I just really wanted to place... Uh, to, to express my gratitude, really, to Karen and say thank you so much for looking after my grandfather in that mm. time. Um, I obviously don't remember her, you know, and that's that's the nature of these things. These are just people doing their job. Mm. But it is an amazing job they do. I can't imagine the strain that they must have been under in the past, however long it's been, year and a half. And... Uh, unfortunately, it looks like it's going to continue to be a difficult job working in a hospital for some time still, and mm. maybe particularly at this Christmas period. But I'm very touched that that uh, our podcast <laughs> plays a very small part in uh, keeping people going and keeping people smiling. I'm so glad that Arsenal got the win last night and hopefully Karen enjoyed it too. But yeah. I just wanted to say thank you, not just to her, but to everybody who is working so hard to keep us going yeah. and uh, keep us afloat. And I, I, she's an example, but there are thousands of people like that, millions, and I, I'm yeah. very, very grateful to them all. Well, yeah, well, thank you, Karen, and thank you for listening. And look, I know um, from personal experience this year how hard the people in hospitals, in COVID wards in particular, how hard their job is, how hard... The work is they have to do, not simply because of the the medical, uh, you know, not just the work, but everything that goes with it. Because a lot of people who go into COVID wards don't come back out, and I, 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 I can't even begin to imagine how difficult and traumatic that is for people to deal with on a daily basis. I dealt with it mm. once and it's horrible and they're dealing with it all the time and they're surrounded by it. And um, the work that they do and continue to do is so incredible and so valuable. Um, 
everyone that is working in hospitals, health workers, carers, frontline workers, but even as far when you think about this whole thing and when you think about the way things have been for the last 18 months, people that who perhaps get overlooked, the, the, the people who work in supermarkets, in shops, in uh, you know public transport, who were yeah, yeah. always there, the people who kept things going for us, the people who, you know, all of those people who have been right at the front line of this thing for hours and hours and hours and hours, every single day, they deserve huge gratitude from from all of us. And I know um, that there are people who listen to this podcast who do so working in hospitals, um, mm-hmm. doing jobs which are absolutely vital to maintain some semblance of normality at a time when the world is as far from normal as I can ever remember it. So I'll join you in saying thank you to all of those people um, because what they do is 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 amazing and uh, it doesn't hurt to take two minutes to just acknowledge that and to um, to express our gratitude. So there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Karen, and thanks everybody else. Too. All right, and to you guys, um, regardless of thanks what work you do, thank you for listening. Uh, thanks yeah. for being here as always. We'll have a preview podcast over on Patreon tomorrow. Myself and Lewis will look ahead to the Leeds game. Um, we'll be here on Monday to talk about that, and then we'll have a chat about what's going to happen next week because it's a weird week with Christmas and all that kind of stuff. But we'll we'll keep you up to date with our podcast schedule. For now, though, thanks very much. We're in the top four. Um, enjoy it bask a little bit and uh, we'll catch you on the next one bye bye deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.